As you take your seats, take out your Bibles, take out those swords, get ready to sharpen them up as we study God's Word. We're picking up tonight in the fourth verse here in the first chapter of this amazing letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. This church that was trying to walk right side up in an upside down world. A a church that, much like the church in the world today, uh, struggled with an awful lot of things, so many temptations. They lived in a time, a day, and an age when the world itself uh, was run by the Romans, but it was still very much a Greek-influenced world. And so that world, as we know it today, uh, was really a mess. Probably some of you have experienced this, but one of the things that we've been called to do as a church is to make sure that we are the counter to the culture. Amen? We're supposed to be different than the world. We should actually be very visibly different than the world. And so Paul, in these opening verses, really in this opening salvo, addresses an issue that is still with us today. And that is unity and harmony, thankfulness, and harmony in God's church. And notice what I said, God's church. Because this church does not belong to Calvary Chapel. This church does not belong to me. It's never belonged to any pastor. This church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? He paid for it with his broken body and his shed blood. And so we, as his children, are part of the church. We represent a portion of that church. In that sense, we are part of the body. But the church then, like the church now, was conflicted. The church was divided. And we find in these next 13 verses, uh, a church that Paul's going to address in this area of thankfulness and harmony. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you tonight for your incredible blessing of being able to be in your house tonight. And we pray that you would speak to us through the power of your word, that your word would be alive to us. And Lord, that we would be visible in this world as instruments of your grace. Lord, would people not become confused about who you are because of what they see in us. With the unity and with the harmony, with the fellowship, the sweetness of it, our thankfulness, speak volumes of your grace. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Verse 4 here in 1 Corinthians 1. And I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Look, there's a simple fact here that Paul makes. If you're here and you're a child of God, if you've received the grace of God, it came through exactly one vehicle, and that is Jesus. You didn't get saved because of a pastor. You didn't become a child of God because of a church. You you did not buy some book or even the word itself, though faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The price was paid for you by Jesus Christ. And in that sense, we are all thankful to the one true king. Amen? 
He is the lion. He is the lamb. He's our returning king. And, and so he says, I thank God concerning you for the grace of God, which is given to you. It was a gift, amen? You didn't get saved by works. Paul made that clear as he wrote to the church at Ephesus. You, you see, we are God's kids. And we should act like God's kids. That you were enriched in everything by him. In all utterance and in all knowledge. He says, every word you speak and everything you think comes directly from God. If he did not empower your mind, if your body was not functioning because of the power that works within you, you would cease to be able to do nothing, you would know nothing. Sometimes I think that we kind of compartmentalize ourselves and say, well, you know, God can have most of my spirit. He owns all of you. He paid for all of you. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants your mind. He wants your strength. He wants all of you. So in that sense, he's saying, look, I'm thankful for all of all y'all. Amen? He loves all of us and all that we are and all that we represent. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So that you come short in no gift. And when you look at the church, God is so wonderfully displayed within his church. All of these gifts that are for his glory. And what one lacks, another supplies. And what one supplies, maybe another lacks. We make up for one another's weaknesses and the gifts that God's given to us by the body of Christ. So grateful for those gifts that surround me as a pastor. So thankful I don't have to do everything. That, that I rest on, on those things which God has gifted others to do. It's no gift. Eagerly awaiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody in here eagerly awaiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen? Man, some days that's our, that almost seems like that's our only hope. I'm going to die and go to heaven. You know, people think, oh, you're being kind of morbid, you know. It's like, draw, you know, what is that? It's like, no, I literally look forward to going home to be with Jesus. And those days when it's tough and it's hard, and you don't know what's around the bend and over the horizon, you know that your king is coming. And he's encouraging them. He's saying, look, be thankful. Be thankful. Even in those tough days who will also confirm you to the end. He who began that good work in you is faithful to complete it right into the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? We're all, man, we are works in progress. Amen? We're, we're called saints. We're the set-apart ones, but some of us are a little more set-apart than others. Amen? You know what I'm saying. There are days when you wake up and you look in the mirror and you go, man, that's not very set-apart. But the Lord's at work in us. And He's working to will and to do His good pleasure in us. But sometimes we don't cooperate, do we? And so He's got to work a little extra hard. But He is faithful. He's going to confirm it. He's going to take care of what you need right to the end. He's going to keep working in you. Why? That you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, one day, 
you're going to put on that garment of praise and you're going to take a step out of time and into eternity and you are actually going to be blameless. Anybody waiting for that day? Oh, hallelujah. Amen. You can clap for that. I'm waiting. Because we all have issues in our life, amen? Y'all got people, you know, I mean, it's crazy. We have people in our lives that seemed like they were put on this planet to make us miserable. We we have stuff going on in the world. I I have stopped watching the news. It's like, it's not news, it's just, mm. I don't want to know. The world's a tough place. Corinth was a tough place. It's hard to be a Christian in this world. It's hard to just drive home. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's like if I had Arminian theology, I'd have to get saved every day when I drive home. It's like, Lord, I repent again. Save me again. Praise God, His grace is sufficient for my weaknesses. Amen? Life is hard. But know this, God's got it. And you can rest and trust in that. Why? Because God is faithful, verse 9 says, by whom you were called into fellowship, the fellowship of His Son. You weren't called by a work. You weren't called by a method. You weren't called by a practice. You weren't called by an ordinance of the church. You were literally called by God himself. He said to you, I want you in my family. And you responded to that call by receiving the grace of God in Christ Jesus. You were called into fellowship, the fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus, who is our Lord. Now as you break this down, what he's really saying, look, this is a troubled church. And they had problems internally. They had problems externally. I have those same problems, and so do you. There are things, my, um, sometimes my worst enemy is me. Amen? Anybody else experience that in life? That if someone else doesn't condemn you, you will surely condemn yourself? And yet there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of who we are in Christ. And yet we still battle with even condemnation and fear and doubt. There are internal problems. There are certainly external problems. Amen? If you don't have any, you can drive me home. I don't even want to watch. There's, there's external problems. Amen? Maybe it's that job that you have. Perhaps it's the people you work with. Maybe it's within your own family. You, you go home and your, your home is a place of conflict. There's external problems. And yet we are supposed to represent Jesus Christ in this world. Our lives are supposed to be so significantly different than the world that people can look at us and actually see Jesus in that sense. Where there's a storm, they see calm. Where there's violence, they see peace. Where there's anger, they see forgiveness. Where there's bitterness, they see joy. You see, that's the way we're supposed to work in this world. And what it does 
is it gets us to that place of, of saying, Lord, where do I start? What do I do? Where do you start? Paul says here, by being thankful. By being simply thankful. Get up every day and just be thankful that God has brought you into His marvelous light. I can't fix all of your problems. I, I wish I could. You know, there are times, and, and we even pray as a staff, and I don't want you to get the wrong impression here, but we pray, Lord, give us millions of dollars. You know why? Because we can do more with millions of dollars than we can with hundreds of thousands of dollars. So give us millions of dollars. So we can give it away. So we can help people. But you see, even if I had took care of your financial problems, it, it won't solve all the problems. So you have to have an attitude of gratitude. You have to wake up every day and say, I choose to be thankful today. I choose to look at this world as having absolutely nothing for me, so if I get anything, I'm a step ahead. But see, the problem is people look to this world for the things that only God can give. And so we are sorely disappointed because that relationship with our spouse isn't quite the way it's supposed to be. Our children maybe don't turn out exactly as we had hoped. Maybe that job doesn't pay anywhere near what we actually need to survive on. And so we're in this place of going, Lord, I need, I need, I need, I want, I want. And I'm in no way, shape, or form chastising anyone. Those are normal things that we would think. But the counter to them is to wake up and say, Thank you, God, that I took a breath today. Thank you, God, that I can feel my feet today because I have feet. You ever met someone without feet? I have. They're jealous of my feet. And I can't feel my feet part of the time. I got this weird neuropathy thing going on, and it's like sometimes they just, they're like bricks down there, and I whine to God. It's like, God, make my feet feel unnumb right now. And I have to stop for a moment and say, God, thank you, I have feet. You see, that comes from being thankful. It doesn't come because there aren't storms in our lives. It comes because I have an attitude of gratitude. See, here's what happens. When you constantly express gratitude towards the Lord, everything else in your life starts to change. All of a sudden, you're more positive about almost everything. You know why? Because if you're positive about things that aren't positive, you can be positive about the positive things, amen? That'll happen naturally. So all of a sudden, your attitude actually changes. You you become more gracious. Anybody want grace in your own life? I do. You know what happens when I'm gracious? I get grace. You know what happens when I'm merciful? I get mercy. You know what happens when I'm loving? People love me back. You know what happens when you have some forgiveness that goes a long ways? That forgiveness comes back to you. And the same is true with humility. And any other thing that could be said to be a fruit of the Spirit follows in suit. You know, sometimes we just kind of forget to check our bling. You need to do that every once in a while. You all got some spiritual bling hanging around your necks. 
You need to check that stuff out. I was watching this interview with this guy, and he was talking about, you know, how he likes jewelry, and he'd go, and he'd buy all these chains and stuff, and it's all draped around his neck, and and then he actually told the story of how he had to constantly see a chiropractor because he had so much weight of gold around his neck. It's like, man, I want that kind of spiritual bling. It's like, Lord, let me hunch over from the blessings. We need to do that. We need to check out who we are in Christ Jesus because we are rich in our knowledge of Him. We are rich in who He is in us. The problem is we walk around like paupers. We don't recognize it sometimes. I don't see it myself sometimes. Look, the fact of the matter is we have been changed from garbage into gold. Amen? You're now His precious treasure created in Christ Jesus for good works so that you should walk in them. Amen? God sees you very differently than you see you. You need to see you the way He sees you. You see, the Corinthians had all the spiritual gifts they needed. They just didn't see them. They walked right by them. Some of them even ignored those spiritual gifts. It was going to be tough to stand against paganism. It was going to be tough to stand against sin. It was going to be tough, but they had what they needed. But they were looking in the wrong place. They were looking for perfection in other people. Can I give you a little secret? Don't look for perfection in other people because you won't find it in yourself and you won't find it in them either. We are all flawed. We are all failed. I will let you down eventually. Your, Your spouse will let you down eventually. Your children will let you down eventually. Your government is letting you down right now. All of it. It's like, I, I just can't even watch. It's like, could we just not have any parties? But you know what I'm saying? It's like, if you put your hope and trust in those things, you're, you're going to walk away disillusioned. Please, brothers and sisters, put your faith and your hope and your trust in the King of kings and the Lord of lords, for He is faithful. Amen? He's not going to let you down. You see, you got a grace gift through the cross. He's just been lavishing on you. Pastor Kevin sang about it, that reckless love. And it's not because God is careless. It's because He loves you with such reckless abandon that He'll never run out of that love. You're not going to wait. You will never test the end of God's love for you. Did you know that? You can't do it. Because no matter how far you can go, David even said so far, if I descend to the depths of hell, you're there. That's a long way down, isn't it? That's how much God loves us. That's how much He loves us. You've got to check it out. And so Paul begins to appeal for this harmony that should be in the midst of our, our thankful living. You know, so very often I think we look at the Bible almost as if it applies to someone else, but not to me personally. Pick up with me, if you would, in verse 10. 
And I want you to notice how he starts this. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Does that sound like a whole bunch of people at odds with one another? Does that sound like a bunch of people who can't get along with one another? Does that sound like people that ought to be bagging on other people who also are part of the kingdom of God? Let me just share with you, God hates division. As much as he hates divorce, he hates division. God hates it when his kids don't get along. And one of the chief reasons being is it tells the world that if we can't love each other, then maybe this love of God thing isn't real. Because you would think that we ought to be able to love family members. Because you know when that odd friend comes over for Thanksgiving, you kind of feel justified, you know, you can kind of hate on them a little bit. Because they're not part of the family. (laughs) But it's not true, is it? Not as a child of God. And yet within our own family... We don't get along. We start our little clubs, our little cliques, our our, our little groups of people that gather together and we're of this group and we're of that group. If you don't believe that's what he's talking about, look what follows. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Four gifted pastors follow in this list. And now I say this, that each of you says, and he throws his own name into the hat first, I am of Paul. Or I am of Apollos. Or I am of Cephas. Or even I am of, can I, can I tell you there are people that think, they are the only ones on earth that actually know Jesus? Well, no. We're really of Christ. So I've shared with you before, if there's anything I can tell you about studying God's Word, is the longer you study it, the more you realize you don't know. You flip a page, it's like, I never saw that verse before. I've read it, I've taught, I've written on it, and I don't ever recall ever reading that one. And so he names four groups by name, including the hyper-Christians. He then turns to rhetoric, to rhetorical questions. Those questions which, by their definition, demand a negative answer. The answer will always be no. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
Do you see it? You see how detestable division is in the body of Christ to God? He goes on to use himself as an example. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. He's saying, look, ministry's not about me. I think it's time that we admit in our day and our time and in our world that we need to get over the pastoral-driven ministry. The ministry of personality. There is only one righteous king. His name is Jesus. There's only one ruler of the church. His name is Jesus. There's only one who is the word. His name is Jesus. There's only one Emmanuel. His name is Jesus. There's only one holy one of Israel. His name is Jesus. The church is about Jesus. It's not about Jeff. It's not about Paul. It wasn't about Pastor Chuck. Not about Pastor Steve. It is about no one save Jesus. We need to remember that, family, because we will start haggling over, I am for Greg, or I am for Chuck, or I am for Mike, Or I am for Rawl. Do you see how I use four names in a modern context? I've listened to that argument. I have listened to, well, you know, I'm for this pastor or I'm for that pastor. Can I just tell you that grieves God's heart? Because the moment you do that, you strike discord between your brothers and sisters. So here's what I want you to do when someone asks you who are you for. You just tell them you're for Jesus. Amen? Solves all the problems. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. And besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. And again, he's not knocking baptism here. We should all be baptized at public sign that we are one of God's children, identifying with the the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Very important. Jesus himself did it. But basically what he's saying is it's not about who baptized you or how you got baptized. I have literally stood with people who have pulled out a picture of themselves being baptized by Pastor Chuck as if because you have that, Somehow it's a greater baptism than if someone else baptized you. Look, as long as you got baptized, you're good. And while I'm grateful, people line up and you know, will you baptize? Of course, I'll baptize as many as I possibly can. But you're not better baptized because I baptize you. I doubt I hold you down longer. (laughs) Y'all got, they're serious. This water's filthy right here. Might even put you down a second time. We call that double baptism. No, but people get hung up on this stuff, and all of a sudden there's this weird, you know, well, I'm of, you know, Jeff. Oh, don't do that, please. 
I'll share just a personal pain with you. Here's why. Because if you put me on a pedestal, you put any pastor on a pedestal, you've just given them farther to fall. That's it. That's why the Apostle Paul actually goes on to say, I am a man of like passion. He's really saying, look, my pant legs go on one at a time like yours. And he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, not with pervasive speech, not with great articulation, though there's certainly a place for proper study, proper exegesis, proper hermeneutics, proper historical context, proper understanding of science and the world. Those things are all wonderful tools. But at the end of the day, it is the power of God unto salvation to them who believe it is the gospel that saves. It's not pervasive words. I have listened to some of the most genuine prayers come out of people that they can't link three words together in a sentence because their vocabulary is so small. And yet you hear the anguish cry of their heart, God save me! God hears those prayers. He hears the word preached. He is the one that empowers the message. It is not the messenger. It's his word that has life. Thy word, O God, is life. We must get this family. And yes, I'm super grateful. I'm amazed when I wake up in the morning, Lord, how could you use somebody like me to do this? I don't know. I just know I want to make Jesus happy. I want him to be proud of what happens in his house. And so if I'm leading, I want him to get the glory. That's it. Nobody else. Because nobody else is worthy. He alone is worthy of our praise. Amen? He alone, he alone is worthy of glory and honor and praise and will be so forever and ever and ever and ever. That's why the angels in heaven cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. And why is that important to us? Because we worship the one true king. And because of that, the church should be harmonious with the rest of the church. Every church in the world ought to be able to get together and at least in the central things of the Christian faith and doctrine, not only treat each other with kindness and gentleness and meekness and self-control, but actually be nice to each other. So I travel around the world. I can tell you it is not that way. And it grieves God's heart. And it's not his plan. We need to get back on his plan. And because of that, he says, look, I'm going to put you all on time out. It's like you go to your corner, and we're going to get this squared away. Now, I watched this lady in Coles. 
a couple of months ago, and it was in Christmas time. I was looking for something for Connie, and I'm in Kohl's, and and I've seen some interesting ways of putting kids in timeout, but this one was unique. You know the clothing racks, right? The round ones? She peels the stuff back and crams her child in the inside of it. You're in timeout. Stay in there. And I looked, and it was men's underwear. It's like, could you have picked maybe a better rack than that one? Now, God's not going to stuff you someplace and shield you from view. He's just simply going to try and correct our attitude. He's going to say, look, stop being petty. Stop making me look ridiculous to the world. Because when we fight, he gets blamed for it. That's what happens. We don't want to do that to our Savior. To that end, divisions destroy. They always destroy. Probably most of you in here have played some form of team sports. You know, last year we had this insane thing with a number of Major League Baseball teams supposedly putting people in the stands with high-speed cameras, picking off the pitches of the other team and tipping them. But they found out in the scandal they actually had people on the same team who were like spies. I would not have wanted to been that person inside the clubhouse after that game. Because you know what? Somebody's going to get roughed up a little bit. Because it's unthinkable that someone wearing the same uniform is going to turn against their own team. It's exactly what your Bible is saying. It's unthinkable because we're all on the same team that we would turn on someone on our team. It's unthinkable. Because we all got on the team the same way. We didn't go to tryouts. We were useless and hopeless and lost. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And he hath made us alive and put us on the team. So we all got on the team. We were like total failures and he picked us anyway. Isn't that nuts? I don't like to lose. I'm just telling you, just please don't invite me to play games with you. I'll embarrass myself. Because I don't like to lose. I just, that's, I mean, we play Scrabble to the death in our house. It's like, okay, this is going to be a costly round. I like to win. And so when I'm picking people for my team, I actually want to pick the very best people. Because I want to win. Kind of like Nacho Libre. I want to win. I know it's unbiblical, but I needed a break, okay? I want to win. So I pick the best people. Don't you think God wants to win too? He does. But here's how crazy his love is. He picks losers. I'm one of them. (laughs) 
he picks losers and says, I want you on my team. But would you please not destroy the rest of the team? Because now I've made you winners. You're on a championship team. And so Paul, in wrapping this up, simply goes to some rhetorical questions. He says these divisions that destroy are are attached to these, these four groups. And in essence, he takes one good team and through division turns it into four bad teams or teams that are not as good. You see, because if you keep all these guys together, if you put Paul and Apollos and and you put those that are with Christ and those with Cephas or Peter, if you put them all together, they're actually a more powerful team, aren't they? If you don't believe that, take all of the major leagues and take every best player off of every team and put them all on one super team. It's called the Golden State Warriors. And yes, I'm jealous. I'll get over it sooner or later. We call that a super team, right? This is a super team. And so because of the petty jealousy, the super team gets busted up into four mediocre teams. Exactly what's happened because we just traded away Blake Griffin. It's like we get rid of our best players and we, they go on one team and somebody else goes to another team and now you've got four bad teams and one good team. Don't do that with Jesus. Keep the team together. Make sure everybody's got a spot to play. A position that they're good at. Get them in the game in that sense. And to help them understand this, he uses this set of rhetorical questions. He says, look, there's, there's one true church. Turn, if you would, just for a moment, just a little time here. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Just a handful of verses here. We'll pick up in verse 3. Ephesians 4, verse 3. Endeavoring, it says in verse 3, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You can always tell when the team's doing good because there's peace. You can always tell. And he says, look, here's the deal. And I want you, you can circle them if you want. If you write in your Bible, please circle the word one, because you're going to see it seven times. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. You see, so as he asked these questions, is Christ divided? No. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. Don't skip over that, is Christ divided? You know what he's literally saying? What do you want to do, tear Jesus into pieces? That's actually what he's saying. Is Christ torn apart? Can we rip him into chunks and 
this team gets a little bit of Jesus, and that team gets a little bit of Jesus, and that team gets a little Jesus, and this team gets a little Jesus. No, you can't. Because there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one hope, there's one baptism, there's one God the Father, and He is the Lord of all. Amen? Amen. You see, we have to look at this from God's perspective, and we have to be careful that we don't build up some faulty fan clubs. That we're not wandering around going, well, you know, this is the way it's really done. We can't tear Jesus apart. Look, there is zero question that there are some churches that don't even teach the Word of God. There is zero question that there are some churches that are not even of God altogether. But our job is not to go around and try and figure out which ones are not of God. Just go preach Jesus. I'm supposed to equip you with that knowledge of what a cult is. But too much of the church spends its time trying to fault find the rest of the church. And it's fruitless. It's pointless. I'm sure, well, you guys have blue lights on the stage now. You know, blue, if you mix that with green and red, it'll turn black. And that's Satan's color. The first time we turned on the lights and we had red lights up there, I literally got two emails. You know, red's the devil's color. <laughs> Please. Is Christ divided? Is the word of God preached? Are we worshiping the Lord Jesus? If we are, then we're on the right team. Beware of faulty fan clubs. We don't baptize in the name of Calvary Chapel. We baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One true God. We identify with Him. The church should be about the message and not about the methods. Methods change from generation to generation. So staff, we watched two consecutive Wednesdays. We do church for the church, basically, for staff on Wednesdays. And we watched Adventure in Faith, the movie about the founding of Calvary Chapel. And I was, I was shocked. Now let me just say something to you. And I may offend some of you. We need to be really careful that we do not become exactly what most of us fled back in the 60s and 70s, which is an old, dead, irrelevant church. We need to make sure that we're keeping up with that next generation because one day I'm going to step out of the pulpit and there's going to be a whole other generation that's going to come up behind us. And we better be preparing them for what lies ahead because if we don't, the church dies with us old folks. I was shocked. I'm sitting there watching Chuck because Chuck was younger than I am right now when he did that movie. Mike McIntosh, Jeff Johnson, Raul Rees, all of them younger than I am right now. And they're sitting there going, oh, you know, we, you know, it's just exciting to see all these new things. You look and they're 
long-haired hippies, and colored lights. Like, so where do we go wrong here? Be careful. Look, we want to always honor the Lord. We want to always faithfully exegete the text, the word. We want to draw out what it actually says. But it's not about what church looks like. It's about who church is about. And it needs to be about Jesus and his word. Amen? Why don't you stand? We'll close in prayer. Kevin, the team's coming back up, going to close us in song. Father, thank you tonight that we are one in you. We're not two or ten. We are one in you, Jesus. And we celebrate that, Lord, because when we look around the sanctuary, we're a motley crew. Lord, and we confess that. You probably couldn't put us all in the same room if we weren't saved. It's your spirit that's drawn us together, and we thank you for your spirit doing that work, taking us who were once foreigners, strangers, Lord, wandering our our wayward ways, and by your spirit you've drawn us together and made us into a big family. Lord, don't let us shame you. Don't let us be anything other than a a great example of your love in this world. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. Pray that you would bless us. We do ask God, grow your church. This one and every other church that names the name of Jesus, that rightly preaches your word and teaches it, that has the gospel in the forefront, Lord, that truly we are like-hearted with. Lord, we don't care if they wear choir robes and collars as long as they point people to you and we thank you for them Lord pray that you would make us genuinely thankful and completely harmonious that your church that bears your name would do you proud we ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus Amen